Hi, Chris. How are you? Good evening, Rod. Yeah, I'm well. I'm in the hot shed. Yeah, it's been quite a day for it, hasn't it? Some people have hot tubs. I've got a hot shed, I think. Well, it's been, for the first time ever, the city I live in, Swansea, has hosted an Ironman. So there's been, and my brother-in-law actually went and did it. So was down having, supporting him a little bit first thing this morning. And unbeknownst to me, Alistair Brownlee, if you watched the Olympics from a few years ago, he was, he's a double Olympian, British Olympian. This guy went past at 27 minutes just as we got there, and it was Alistair Brownlee just absolutely smoking the competition. Wow, because he's one of the Brownlee brothers, aren't they? That's yeah. yeah, okay, I remember now. Yeah, so he's doing this now and absolutely hammered by it. I mean, I think the next competitor was a good four or five minutes behind him, even at that point. Wow, okay. He's got some pace on him. We have been watching the Commonwealth Games, and the family went to see it this week. Awesome, apparently. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, it's quite nice to take part in those, thing, those kinds of things, really. i got to say, I haven't paid that much attention to it, other than, I think I said, on the last podcast, actually, I've got a friend who's in the Welsh Commonwealth team for hockey. So, uh, other than that... Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah, good stuff. Sport exists outside of Apple TV yeah, stuff. Who knew? Who knew? Hey, there's more than just baseball. I know, amazing. Well, NFL rumoured to come as well, isn't it? Anyway, have you got a little follow-up for us, Chris? Just minor follow-up. actually went into a John Lewis here in the UK and played with a MacBook Air M2, just very briefly, in the midnight blue colour. So whenever I look at new devices, Macs and iPads, I generally don't bother to run the OS much because obviously it's it's pretty much the same, whatever. But it was more just about the feel of it. And actually what I noticed, and they did have an M1 MacBook Air right next to it, was where it's not tapered anymore, so where it it's thin at the front and thick at the back with the M1 and the M2 is the same thickness all across. It's actually much better weighted. It doesn't lean towards the back, if you know what I mean. It just felt much better distribution. The hardware is stunning. It, Apple are really nailing their hardware, I think, at the moment. And just before the call, I was just plugging in some cables into my studio display. The hardware is lovely. It's beautiful. And like you're plugging in the cable and you're going, oh, I better not scratch the back of it because it's so nice around the back. I think the M2 is amazing, but the weight distribution really stood out to me that it just looks cracking. If it wasn't so closely priced to the Pro, because I think if you get a Pro with a bit of a discount, that's a better buy, the M2 is a cracking machine, the M2 Air. Yeah, it looks nice. Was the uh, material particularly fingerprinty? I mean, that's a thing that some yeah. of the po- people have been commenting on. I really like the dark blue midnight colour they've gone for. I think it looks great, but it is very fingerprinty. And it does remind me of what was the black MacBook that they did a long time ago. And you did pay a premium for the colour. We had one of those in our house and it was a cracking machine. It looks stunning. So uh, I think it looks amazing. It's nice to have something that isn't space grey or silver, but sadly is very fingerprinty. And I think... If you were worried about that in obsessive, then you'd be cleaning it the whole time and probably silver is the better colour to get. Yeah, I mean, it does make me a little bit sad when you look at the the iMac, the 24-inch M1 iMac, and the range of colours it's available in. And some of those on the back particularly are really nice. Why in the consumer laptops could they not have replicated those? It's made of the same materials? I, I don't understand. Yeah, like the the orange M1 iMac, I think looks stunning, that orangey sort of colour and the red. Like... Give me that in a laptop. People will buy it because they want to make a statement. I think people are bored of just the same old, same old. Yeah, and it's interesting you talk about that because it was plastic, wasn't it? That to that MacBook, I think it was the it was 
it was plastic when they were doing plastic ones. Polycarbonate. Yeah, and it was great. And it's it's funny, you know, all the years of mocking Windows laptops for being black plastic, and Apple did white plastic largely, you know, following the toilet suit iBooks from back in the day. We were so into our sort of white laptops, and then all the Pro ones were always just the same silver for a while. You know, my, my PowerBook back in the day, G4 PowerBook, was silver with its little door at the back to hide all the ports and things like that. That we actually did pay a premium just to have a, a black a black computer to go back to the Windows days. I think you're thinking of your titanium book had the door at the back, and then the aluminium power books just had the ports on the side, if memory serves. No, that's what I said. I, did th- I think it did say power book, didn't it? Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. But no, you're, you're right. I think it is interesting that just silver became the de facto and stayed there for so, so long. But I still think at the moment the silver and the space gray are, are the winning colors if you don't want it to be all fingerprinty. But if you want it to look cool and you want everybody to know you've got the M2. MacBook Air, the the midnight one is the one to get because that's the only color you can get it in, like that nobody else can have. Yeah, it is a shame. I agree with you. I mean, I, as I said before, I, I wanted to get this this MacBook Pro that I'm talking to you now on in in the silver at least because I've had so many space gray ones. And sort of hardware differentiation it is a lovely, well built thing. It doesn't creak. It doesn't flex. I like the embossed MacBook Pro on the bottom. It's strange now every time I think about it that it doesn't say MacBook Pro along the bezel anywhere in the same way that the old ones used to. So there's nothing on the front or the inside of it other than the operating system to differentiate it as an Apple computer. But I guess. You know, the shape with the speakers and where the trackpad is now, and the size of the trackpad particularly, it does differentiate itself anyway. Yeah, I guess so. And uh, while you were talking, I just looked around the back of my iPad Pro. It just says iPad on the back. It doesn't even say iPad Pro. So you wouldn't necessarily know. And there's obviously there's nothing on the front of an iPad. So no, I did like did like the air. Interestingly, they don't have the embossing on the air. And the color-matched MagSafe cables does look awesome. And uh, you can't understand why they didn't do it on the Pro. Maybe they were just struggling for supply issues at the time. Yeah, time is a problem anyway, isn't it? No, that's good follow up. I'll I'll have to try and get my hands on one myself just to, because as you say, it's you go you walk into an Apple store or John Lewis or somewhere they've got them, and other than the hardware, you know, you expect them to be performant. It's hard to f- test an operating system, particularly in the shop. You know what macOS is like. You know how it's going to run and all the rest of it. But yeah, it's nice to see the hardware, and we know what the keyboards are like because obviously they're the same ones on the Pro. So. Like when there's a new keyboard out, you'll, you'll fire up notes or something and have a quick play. But I've already done that. So it, it, I thought it looked great. It looked a cracking machine. And if I or my wife were in the market for a laptop, it'd probably be, be that sort of machine we'd be getting. Nice. Good. Brilliant. Okay, we can move on to news and rumors, which I think will be the bulk of the show this week because there's quite a few. Yeah, loads of little just tidbits of rumors with a sprinkling of news, I think, is what, what we've got at the moment. So first up, I put in was just about the Apple Watch. And I don't know. I don't think we know what we're getting in the Apple Watch this year. There seems to be a little bit up in the air with industrial design. So some are saying the new Apple Watch will be exactly the same as the Series Seven that came out last year, which is pretty much the same as every Apple Watch that's ever existed. Obviously, the screens have got bigger, but you've got the dial, you've got the button, and the, the screen size have just changed. If, if that makes sense. So, which I'm a bit disappointed on because I kind of held off getting a Series Seven because I thought, actually, no, I'll wait. Because there was that rumoured new design with the flat edges. And I thought, no, I'll wait for a new design because I fancy something different. But it hasn't come. And then there's talk of having multiple watches. And are they going to do something like when the iPhone 10 came out? And you had the premium watch, had the new design. And then they just released a, a normal model that had the the, the the previous design, if that makes sense. Because you had the iPhone 8 and the iPhone 10. So what do you think about all this? Well, 
On one level, it makes sense to me that they're not going to change it. Because like you say, they kind of changed it a little bit last year. They made the screen a little bit bigger. You know, and they showed off the watch face. I forget the name of the watch face that had the numbers around the edge of it rather than sort of towards the center, just to sort of really emphasize how much bigger that the screen was. But other than that, it was an evolutionary upgrade on the Apple Watch that came before it. So I had the always on screen. The basic controls haven't changed. The basic size hasn't changed. They've embraced the fact that it doesn't need to get thinner. So I think evolutionary, it makes a sense. There is this additional rumor of there being an Apple Watch Pro, which will be chunkier and more battery. We've talked about that before. So maybe this makes sense that why would you try and make the normal watch thinner or have a significantly different industrial design when you're about to release something even chunkier with a Pro moniker? So to me, it makes sense that they're just going to do a sort of half-step evolution rather than sort of throw, throw it all out. See, I was wondering, though, whether the Pro would be like your, your stainless, your more premium materials one, and then you'd have like, I don't know, watch rugged or outdoors or, or whatever you want to call it, which is kind of the opposite of the Pro in that it would be the one that's really rugged and you it doesn't matter if you scratch it kind of thing because it's built for that, whereas the Pro would be the, the premium materials that be, you'd want to look after a little bit more. Yeah, hard to say. I mean, it, other than sort of the chunkiness of a pro, I wonder how many people buy the high-end watch anyway. Again, we talked about this last week about going for the more expensive materials or the addition or, or something like that. If they're putting it in a position where you upgrade your Apple Watch, let's face it, every two to three years, then that sort of evolutionary tick, add a sensor, change the screen size a little bit, make the screen always on, particularly when they're about to make the, the, the phone itself always on as well. I, I kind of get what they're doing, I think. Rather than dropping 1,500 quid on a watch, you know, right at the outset because you wanted the gold one that you're then going to have to change in two years, I think it makes more sense to just tick, 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 maybe talk along. Yeah, no, maybe you're right, maybe you're right. I am in the market. I do fancy a premium one this year because I often wear my aluminium one and I'm like, actually, I quite fancy a stainless one. I've never had one, so I'm, I'm in the market, I think, this year. For, just because I want to change, I think, and the aluminium colours don't aren't really what i like there's green this year there's the sort of a starlight there's like a midnight one but there's no actual silver again we, obviously we were just talking about silver no that's fair and i think mine is the starlight i think it's as close as it kind of gets which sometimes looks a little bit gold and i've been happy enough with it because let's face it it's it's the screen you look at rather than the bezels of the thing and the strap which you know the one thing that is very clever with the apple watch is how quickly you can change the strap and you can have something that looks a little bit tidier if you go for a I mean, fair enough, I understand why you want a loud colour on your watch as well. And the Pride straps are definitely the best straps for the Apple Watch, I've got to say, up to this point. I'm, I'm, I'm wearing the Nike version of that, that, that myself, actually. So uh, We're on theme. We're on theme. We're both on brand for our Pride, Pride Apple Watch straps. And I have got this year's one, or is it last year's one, around here as well. In the, in the Is it the Solo Loop? I forget what this is called. Yes, Solo Loop by looks I hate these Solo Loops. They drive me crazy. And it's a shame because I really like how vibrant the strap is. But it doesn't fit my wrist particularly well, and I did do Gruber's painted method of of, of counting the, the 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 holes on your normal strap. I just don't like them at all. I don't like the way they grip to my wrist. I don't like the feeling of the material. So I've gone back to the Nike ones. I've got a couple of the loops. I went through a period of I'm just going to go loop. I'm just going to go through loops now and nothing else. And then actually, I've gone off and gone back to the normal straps because I think I prefer them. Yep. yep. Fair enough. I think that's that'll do us for our Apple Watch rumors, but we will keep an eye on it. Second story are the rumor of new home devices coming, which is something we have briefly talked about before. So this is Mark Gurman saying that Apple is readying a new HomePod and additional home-style devices. And what he says is that Apple has at least four new smart home devices in the labs, but not all we will, will see the light of the day. 
as of now, a new high-end HomePod seems most likely to be coming. So this has got to be right in your wheelhouse. I know you like the original HomePod. Yes. So a couple of thoughts on this. I do like the original HomePod. It sounds stunning. I've got a couple of HomePod minis in my shed and they are also great. And I use them with the Apple TV down here. Works flawlessly. They've done a great job. I know it was iffy to begin with, but actually whatever they're doing in the latest OSs works really well. So I think, I'm not surprised by this rumor because I think Apple have been waiting for Matter and I think they just dragged their heels on their home strategy for the Matter piece. You've seen the new home app this year. They put the thread radios in the HomePod minis and then I think they've just dragged in their heels. And you can see it now, even like Eve, the company that, that do plug sockets and various other bits, they've dropped thread in. I don't get how they're advertising it though because a lot of people are going, it's got a thread in it. It's not saying it's Matter compatible, which I find a bit odd because surely if you're a consumer... You're going to go, oh, what do I need to buy? And you really, I wouldn't be telling people once all this is released, just get something that says matter on it and you'll be you'll be gravy, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I do. But again, we've touched on this before. We had to look up what thread and matter was, you know, and we, we vaguely know what we're talking about in this space. And I don't think the marketing around it is good. The, if, if, by all means, call it matter, but Amazon need to be saying it, Google need to be saying it, Apple need to be saying it, saying these are the wave of compatible home devices that are coming down the pipe, and it's what to keep an eye on. It, it is interesting to me. I agree with you. I've got two of the HomePod minis. They sound pretty good. I bought two because one on its own didn't sound right. Siri is extremely annoying on it, which is, is a problem. But the hardware itself is very good. It just sits there in the background and mostly works, particularly if you choose it as an AirPlay source from your phone. This is they're saying that there, one will be a kitchen device that combines an iPad and a speaker. Uh, that's interesting. You know, that, that, I don't know how well that will work particularly. And the second one is a living room device that combines an Apple TV camera and a HomePod. And I look at this market, and the one that's most obvious to me, because I see it advertised a lot, is Portal. Meta's sort of screen and camera thing for, for working. And I don't see that having mag magnificent market penetration in this sort of space. So I understand having a screen on something like a, a HomePod to give you a countdown of a timer or to watch something maybe quickly while you're doing it or see your recipe up on screen. I don't know that people want a, a, a FaceTime camera built into their kitchen device really so they can, you know, can FaceTime people. You've got a laptop or an iPad or whatever for that. Yeah, there's kind of having a screen and a camera and then having half of iOS on there, but not all of iOS or iPadOS. So I kind of agree with you here. I, For me, I just want some speakers. I largely turn off Siri unless I tap it. I don't have it listening for the words. And that way I find it doesn't interrupt in family life. Yeah, that's a good thing. I mean, I genuinely only use Siri on purpose to set timers and it gets that right maybe eight or 10 times. And those two times when it's going, let me look that up for you. Hmm, you know, unhelpful agreed even my kids are aware how useless Siri is it's a running joke in the house it is a shame anyway i think generally it's good that there'll be hopefully more devices at decent price points for people to get to get hold of and use because the home pods are good devices they do sound very good they do sync well with other things in the house apple is a you know a tv apple tv plus lineup that they could maybe sit and watch for all mankind while you're cooking your chili it's it's an option, but I think they need to be careful in this space because there's a lot of failures. Yeah, agreed. I'd agree with that. I think I think it's interesting to see, and also, it's such a busy market. You can make anything for the home, and I think they've got to draw the lines so they don't get distracted. Yeah, fair point. Moving on, Amazon is buying Roomba, or which it's not Roomba, is it? It's iRobot is the company that makes Roomba, is what Amazon is buying. Yeah, you're right. Sorry, I think that was my fault for doing the show notes. I thought this was interesting because it's. I'm a bit mixed on Amazon buying stuff. Part of me is like, great, they're buying it. It's going to live on. I've got Eros, as we've discussed in past shows. And I think they've been a great steward of buying Eero and 
not ruining it. I think they've done a really good job. But maybe Amazon have learned how to do that. I could be right, I could be wrong. And I haven't got really got anything else to go on. I've got a ring doorbell temporarily at the moment until I can get a HomeKit Matter one. That's what I'm holding out for. But I think Amazon do a good job. What, what do you think about this? And I, I, by the way, I think this is a no-brainer they're buying them because it will fit right into their devices rolling around your home strategy that they've got. So on. so iRobot primarily makes the Roomba. The Roomba is a, an, a robot hoover. It's like a little disc that can trundle around your house every day or twice a day and just hoover up and is clever enough to go back to a docking station and empty itself out, I think, to a certain amount because they don't hold very much, but then they're, they're going around all the time picking up. The dumb ones sort of walk, sort of roll around the house, hit off the walls and hit off carpets and things and work out roughly where they can go. The more intelligent ones have some sort of AI routine where they can sort of navigate the floor plan of your house and, and go around it. And you can put down strips to say, don't go over this area because you'll get stuck or put exclusions down for where the, sh- the can and can't go. And... I think it's a market that's quite well received. I've increasingly non-techie people at work who tell me they've got these these kinds of hoovers that sort of trundle around and do it. So I think it's a smart buy. It makes sense to me that Amazon would want this kind of thing to go with a the, this market. It makes sense in the the way of uh, of Alexa and the various devices they've got, as you've said, your doorbell and you know Eros and all this kind of stuff. That yeah, I can understand why they've bought it. It's, it seems like a sensible purchase. And one point seven billion for a company of that's quite well known seems like a bit of a bargain for them. Yeah, yeah, agreed, I think. And it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. I've always had my eye on one, but I think they've been a bit pricey for, for what, what I'm willing to spend. I just want one that does the lawn. You can get a very similar thing that, that cuts your grass. I think this is great. And I think it was CGP Sarah who'd say it. He goes, you feel a lot more productive when something else is going on, like you've put the dishwasher on and you're getting on with some work, say. So wouldn't it be great to put the dishwasher on, kick the vacuum off, and get the grass being mowed whilst you're doing some work? And you're getting four jobs done at once. And I kind of subscribe to that that idea of as you feel more productive. But I've not got in on one yet. I think it'd be great. I've got kids in the house. It'd be great. Hoover up after them every day. But yeah, and I like it. I think it'd be interesting to see what they do with it. Yeah, as someone who's got a pet, the idea is because my pet leaves hair everywhere, and you could go around every day and pull away a, a huge Hoover's worth of hair. It's amazing the amount of hair the dog puts out. To me... I think my house is a bit non-standard. It's on a variety of levels. There are stairs, there are drops, there are you know, carpeted and uncarpeted areas. There's things that would get stuck on. So I've just thought it's inappropriate for the environment. I'd need, I reckon, at least three hoovers to be able to do the, the house in the state that it's in at the moment. And none of them are going to be able to do the stairs. So if I'm hoovering, I may as well just hoover. So I, I've got a good cordless hoover which was a sort of a, a revolution itself for me without having to go around fighting the flex all the time. I do see the appeal, though. If you've got a modern house that's sensible, doesn't have stairs, maybe, uh, that's great. And the same for your lawn. My lawn goes up and down, and it would probably get sort of cross-axled on a tree branch or something, or a tree root. And, you know, I've done it often enough with, with my own lawnmowers. So I just, good, good in principle, you've got to have the right environment for them. Yeah, completely agree. I think I have. I've got a flat garden and a relatively flat downstairs, so I'm quite interested in it, but it just hasn't reached a price point where I've, I've been tempted. However, November Black Friday sale on Amazon might be looking a bit more interesting this year. Maybe. Oh, well, let's see. Fingers crossed for you. Good. And, and look, I'm, just before we go on, I'm guessing though, Amazon have got all the intelligence of how many Roombas are being sold through Amazon.com, so they know how well it's trading, and this has only got to be a sign that it's on the up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's got to be a growth market. It makes sense, these sort of personalized robots. As you say, we've trusted dishwashers for years. You know, what could be wrong with giving them little little tiny mower blades and setting them off into the world? You know, like, we're not going to have the robot uprising yet. Skynet starts here. <laughs> Skynet starts here. I must watch that again. Okay, next up, iPad 16, iPad OS 16, sorry, is potentially delayed by a month, which 
anybody that's used iPadOS 16, this will be a surprise to no one, very much myself included. I'm a little gutted because it just means longer I'm going to be living in beta land. But I'd rather than get it right. I think when you and I talked about M1 gate and the fact you need an M1 to run this stuff, these new features such as Stage Manager it has caused some upset. I'd rather than get it right, get it working on a small set of iPads first, and then they can expand it out. So I think this is good in that they're seeing they need a bit longer to bake it for the mass market. Yeah, I, and I mostly agree with you, but in the linked article, which is from 9to5Mac, there's a, a quote from James Thompson pointing out on Twitter that a delay between iOS 16 and iPadOS 16 could have an imp- a big impact on developers because developers are building universal apps, so they may have to hold their universal ba- app back until the iPad version is ready as well. So I think that's that's an unintended consequence of, of, of the promoting developers to build apps in this way because what might happen is, A, apps won't be released until iPadOS is released, or they split the features out, which could make them messy. And uh, uh, there could be issues around that. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. But then part of me was thinking, unless they're forcing iOS 16 and iPadOS 16 is their minimum, surely it doesn't matter anyway, because they're still going to have devices running the 15 variants. And therefore, they're going to be supporting the iPad anyway with, with 15. I don't know. There may be some internal feature that you know that developers are building against that r- will really push people towards 16. It could be the live API or something like that that you know that they're building out towards it. That just you'd want to get that in front of people as quickly as possible. If we look at when widgets came to the screen, you know, to came to the devices, that was really good for the developers that were first in there. You know, they got a lot of visibility on the store, and you can understand why devs who've spent the summer building hot new apps to run on the latest hardware on the latest OS would then be a bit aggrieved that they could have a potential delay. And I'm guessing as well that widgets on, sorry, widgets on the home screen also drove adoption by the end user base because it's like, oh, it's a new feature. And surely the home screens, the lock screen is going to do the same where you can have widgets on it, change the wallpaper, change the font on the clock. I would imagine the regular user is going to go, oh, I've seen somebody with this. I want this new hotness. So yeah, you're, you're probably right. It's, I think iPad, iOS 16 will, We'll have a fast adoption rate. Yeah, I think so too. Because yeah, you know, both my kids when when widgets came out immediately saw the uses for for widgets. They were, they could have pictures of their friends rolling by on the screen. They could do all that kind of stuff. So I think they're quite. You know, in fact, one of my kids said to me, "Do you think I should go in the public beta, Dad?" Just because they wanted the ability for the screen, you know, to show the pictures they wanted to it in the way that it stands now. So when the other things are there, they're going to want it. And if you're not on that train, I think it's it's going to be bad for those developers who may have spent the time doing it. Wow. It's interesting they even know about the public beta and want to get on it. Well, it could be a consequence of being in this house, so I wouldn't, I'd, I'd hesitate to say. Anyway, I, I understand why they're going to delay it, because from everything you've said, it makes sense that it's not ready. It can't, it, it can't go out to the public yet, so you've got to delay it, you've got to make sure it's right. They don't want to be criticised in this beta of it being one of the more unstable ones. No, and I think what I've said to you previously really holds water. They should have release the features one at a time rather than doing all three four big features at once i think they've been off a bit more than they can chew and the four beaters we've had now have been they've improved it don't get me wrong 100 they are improving it's getting much better but it's still buggy and there's still some unintended consequences so i'm, I'm happy i think it's well, i've seen this in companies that i've worked at it's very hard to delay something and say stop let's do this right but delay it by 24 hours a month whatever it may be and so i think they're making the right call but you've got to ask yourself, Apple keep doing this to themselves every year. At some point, I think they need to stop putting the false deadlines in. There's no reason why it's got to ship at this time. Do we need a new OS every year? Could we just have some point updates? And should we move to a two-year cycle, especially like with macOS? It's quite mature. 
Do we need big upgrades every year? Could we not have bigger point updates? Yeah, I think that's entirely sensible way to go, frankly. And from Apple's point of view, the cash cow is the iPhone. We talked about the financials of last quarter. $40 billion in the iPhone. You make sure the iPhone's up to date. It's got the new thing. It's what most people have in front of their eyeballs. And that's what they're doing in this case. So making the iPad you know, a point release update to it so it's, it's vaguely in sync and doing the same Mac OS, I see no problem with that at all the way they're bringing the developer tools together to allow it. But I suspect they like the big bang, they like the marketing behind it, and it all hinges towards the new iPhone that comes out in September, doesn't it? That's why the iPhone needs to be bang up to date. So it's, it's, they all sort of go hand in hand. But you look at watchOS, they've done very little with watchOS, tvOS, not a lot. You know, it's Glacial CarPlay's had nothing. So... You know, and the iPhone has had a bit, but nothing major other than the lock screen. Yeah, I agree. I mean, other than what they showed on the on, at the keynote for CarPlay and the way that it could go, which is so dependent on automakers buying into it, that it's it's. Oh, I agree with you. There's 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 nothing particularly big bang here, is there? And I haven't missed anything from dropping the Mac OS beta and dropping the iPad OS beta from what I had before. You know, I'm I'm quite happy to go along. All right, I wasn't using the uh, the center stage. I wasn't using that. Stage manager. Sorry, stage manager. One day that might go through my brain, particularly. So, yeah, I guess a delay makes sense. They're doing what they can. They're obviously put all the engineering into tvOS this time around. That's why there's no, they're not finishing iPadOS. So, yeah, fair enough. I think they're all working on wallpaper pickers for the lock screen because they keep iterating on it and it does look good. Can't fault them, but they can't do both at once. They clearly demonstrated that. Yeah, bring back the goldfish. Well done. Good. Okay, Apple Studio Display firmware update. Yeah, and a really weird one. So they've dropped an update out for the firmware, which basically runs iOS on your on your studio display. But it's still 15.5, but it's like a different build number. It's not 15.6, which has just come out on the iPhone. So a bit odd that, that they've dropped a release that's the same version, which I find bonkers. Because if you're trying to tell somebody over the phone to update, you kind of want to go, oh, you want... You know, you, can you tell me if you've got 15.6 on your device or not? But it's, it's a bit of an odd one. But it has fixed the audio and it's now working beautifully with my iPad. But annoyingly, obviously, I had to go and get a Mac, bring it down to the shed to update the studio display. You can't, I don't know why you can't do it on the iPad. I wonder if that's coming. It would make sense because if you're going to do this display piece that they're doing in iPad OS 16, you expect a way to update the monitor. Yeah. Where does that end? Can you update your studio display from your iPhone? Have you plugged that in once it's got USB C? Or Thunderbolt. Yeah, no, I don't know. That's a job for another day, isn't it? I guess so. I mean, I'm glad that they're continuing to update it, but it's a new dis- it's a new device, and they should be updating it. You know, they shouldn't give them any credit for that particularly. I, I can... if if they were really clever, it should update itself from the host device that it's connected to, whether it's an iPad, a Mac, or whatever, because it should use that to connect to the internet. What is weird though is you have to reboot your Mac while it updates, like a like a Mac OS update, and I find that a bit bizarre. Yeah. It's really odd, isn't it, the way this device to have more or less basically an iPad, uh, an iMac in the back of it from you know from the chipset that's a couple of years back. It could be, and then to leave out the network equipment. If they'd put a network port in the back of this or Wi-Fi antenna in this, then it, you think it could update itself. It seems a bit short-sighted that they didn't. I completely agree. I would love it to have Ethernet because it would save me not having a dongle. And whilst I'm at home at night and I'm not using it, it could sort itself out. You know, like my Eros just updated overnight the other day and I came in, it's like, you've got a new OS on your Eros. I was like, this is brilliant. This is how modern tech should be. 
Yeah, and my TV, I've got an LG TV, an older one over there, and I switch it on sometimes and it goes, hello, there's a new software update, would you like me to apply that? And I do. What, what, the, there's no reason, if a TV from a couple of years ago can do it, why a, a, a company like Apple with all its smarts and networking and ability and the chipset, let's look at it's the same chipset that's been in the iPhone for years and the iPad, it has all these capabilities. It just seems, un, it seems intentionally crippled. Agreed, but it is a lovely display. I'm very glad you're happy with it. I would, I will, I have looked at one. I have looked at one in an Apple store. They do look very nice. But then, the 5K iMac display was very nice, which is basically what it is. So, I love though that you put the 27-inch studio display next to a 24-inch iMac, and it looks like it's fat brother because it's like twice as deep. But how is it twice as big? It's got no computer inside it. It just it blows my mind. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe they just like to they they like to differentiate the hardware. You know, the, this the studio brand I think will be more of a thing. I think we'll see more computers, laptops, desktops, phones making use of the studio moniker to uh, yeah the headphones. You know, just just to be there. Yep, yeah, I agree. I love it. Just to say, it's an awesome display. And this the speakers, they've done a cracking job on the speakers. It's, it's a really good device. More, please. Okay, good. Moving on, news. I just put Microsoft Teams in there because I thought, that, I don't know whether you use Teams at all on your Mac, but they finally have provided Apple Silicon support, what, 18 months after Apple Silicon came out, which seems a bit slow. And in the same week, they've announced the multiple screen size support for iPadOS, which is great because it means that as you shrink and change the size of the window it moves the toolbar around makes it a lot smaller and just just a lot better if you're using lots of different apps within teams on the ipad and hopefully they're doing this in preparation for the winter when ipad os 16 comes out but it just feels like it takes them a long time you know the ipads had three or four different roughly display sizes for years and they finally got around to supporting them and it's kind of the same like with carplay you get a teams icon on your carplay and it will show you alerts that come up but you can't go and view your calendar but if you use apple calendar you can view that in your car why can't i view my teams calendar in my car and click join more importantly so i don't have to look at my phone to join a call or pull over you know when you're in the car it seems like they're so close and they've got all the components but microsoft are moving slowly on what is their biggest collaboration platform that they're meant to be really pushing yeah, I find Teams a bit of a puzzler. I've talked about it before. It's an Electron app, but Microsoft have a couple of Electron apps, like Visual Studio Code is also an Electron app. Visual Studio Code has supported Apple Silicon, I think, since, well, about three or four weeks after Silicon Max dropped, you could download a, a beta build of Visual Studio Code that would support Apple Silicon. So they've clearly got the technical ability to do so, to update their applications to support it, even an in-house thing like Electron, which... I should explain, is basically a, a framework, a web framework into which you can embed an application so it runs vaguely natively. The 1Password product we talked about last week also makes use of Electron in some way, shape, or form. So as does Slack, that's sort of a competitor to Microsoft Teams. Teams is a terrible Electron app. It has been a terrible Electron app on the Mac from what you're saying on the iPad for a long time. I mean, it does kind of get the job done. You can message, you can visit the various Microsoft products that are available within it. You can do your video calling and all the rest of it, but it's always felt very slow. It takes multiple restarts sometimes to get anything done. It, the audio lags, the video can lag. So this is a good thing. And you've put in our show notes here, glacial development pace. And I can only agree with that, that it just does seem like they're very, very slowly turning a handle on it. But I mean, you work in Windows land more than I do. It doesn't seem to be any faster on the, win faster on the Windows side than the Mac side. I can't really speak because I don't obviously use it on Windows. I don't have a Windows device, but my team obviously use it at work. And, and so do our 3,000 employees. And we use it all day, every day for IMs, meetings. We do everything through it. It is moving slowly. And 
they've got to get better at releasing features in parity with each other. I think some platforms, yeah, obviously they invest more in the Windows piece, but the other platforms are getting left behind. And then we've got Surface Hubs, which seems to take ages to get an update. And it, I don't know, they just need to really own that stack and go, right, Teams is where the future is. And they've already decreed that. Let's get on with it and have this joined up vision. Stuff is coming to it, but it is slow and it's stuff I'm not fussed about. I just want them to do do the main stuff. I would love love to have it in the car, like I say. I should be able to join a meeting at just the, the tap of a click wheel on my BMW, if you know what I mean, and, or a touchscreen event. Whereas you can't even do it, but you've got the app on the homepage and every time you load it, you just go, something went wrong. It's like, what a rubbish experience is that? Yeah, there's no reason it couldn't, it doesn't need to do the video side of it, but it could let you join the audio side of a Teams call with no problem at all. Uh, no, no, exactly, just audio in the car. That's all we... All we, if anybody ever phones in, they say, I'm in my car. We're like, right, make sure you're not sharing your screen or turn on the camera. Just join audio only. It should be able to do that, especially now the world's slowly getting back to some normality. Yeah, it's a puzzler. So I think it's good that they're coming, but why is it taking so long is kind of a summary with this, isn't it? Yeah, usual. And I'm just worried, is it going to be the same with more iPad OS 16 stuff? Is it going to be Microsoft going slowly? Office is the same. It's great apps on the iPad, really fantastic. And they announce a new update and it's like, you can open a PDF in Office. Brilliant. And it's just, come on, like, can you not move forward just a little bit quicker with, with what you're doing? There's some really good stuff coming, but it's, it is slow for, for what they're doing. Yeah, good. Keep on at Microsoft. You can make the odd good app. And the server side stuff, which I think is where the bulk of their attention is, is generally pretty good, particularly since Windows Subsystem for Linux is now a thing, and you can run Linux, you know, various servers underneath that. So yeah, they, that's I think that's one of the reasons they're so open, happy with open source stuff these days. But uh, stuff like this does baffle me. It really does. Yeah, look, I don't disagree. The OS is great. We've just rolled up Windows 11 at work to nearly 3,000 people, and we've had no complaints over Windows 10. Like, what's the chance of a major OS upgrade like that? And we've rolled out Server 22, which has just come out. Again, it's caused us no issues. So they, they are getting a lot right. And I do think their Office apps are brilliant. They use them all day on the iPad, but I still think there's a bit more to be done. Yeah, there is. Okay, moving on. We talked before about DuckDuckGo and the fact that it runs on top of Microsoft's Bing platform. They got a lot of backlash. We talked about this a couple of months back about the fact that Microsoft scripts weren't blocked on DuckDuckGo's website. So being the website that is known for trying to stop you getting bubbled or your your various internet footprints being tracked across the internet. They rightly received a lot of backlash for that. But anyway, now they've said starting next week, DuckDuckGo will expand third-party tracking scripts it blocks from loading on websites to include scripts from Microsoft. So they're finally doing something they should have done from the outset. Yeah, it's a bit of a bad look, isn't it, when you're basing your whole sort of policy on we're, be we're better than the others and we're more private than the others. I use DuckDuckGo exclusively on all my devices. I've used it for years. It's brilliant. I haven't missed Google at all. So I think it is good, but it's not a good look, is it, if, if that's your differentiator? No, it's not. And, and particularly, you know, we've talked before about how much the search business is worth. DuckDuckGo have probably got a couple of percentage points of it anyway, which is a serious amount of money. And I'm sure, you know, Microsoft are quite glad that they're bringing in that extra search traffic in some way, shape, manner, or form as well. But yeah, if you're the privacy protecting ones and you're not actually protecting privacy from your lord and master Microsoft in this case, bad Microsoft. You know, I, I, I agree with you. It's not a good look. And I don't use DuckDuckGo. I've almost entirely transitioned to the Brave search engine. I've been really impressed with that as I continue to use it. And I will fall back to Google in, in my first instance to do it. I'd try Brave if I could set it as the default on my iOS devices. But you can't. So I just use DuckDuckGo. 
That's fair it's enough. Like the, the, be- the best out of the bunch that you get, I think. Yeah, yeah. And Brave will undoubtedly have its problems as well. You know, I'm not blind enough to, <laughs> to be ignorant that nothing is perfect and money's being made somewhere down the line and generally the currency is you. And I think as long as you're cynical about that, you know, to a certain extent, and you do move with the market and you'll go where the search is best. I don't think Google search has been the best for a very, very long time, really. I think there's there's decent points of competition in the market now. Yeah, I think that's fair. They've all they're all, all up to a certain benchmark, aren't they? I think, to be fair. Yeah, they are. I mean, you, most of the time within the first page, you can probably be looking for it. I find the reduction of ads in Brave and DuckDuckGo is probably a, a, well no it's not just probably it's definitely a better thing yeah so it's in, I, I guess to summarize i'm glad DuckDuckGo have taken this step but it's a step they should have taken a while back uh, yeah it should never have happened should never have happened and i i bet they lost quite a lot of their users as a consequence yeah potentially because they'd be the ones savvy enough to use it in the first place yep exactly anyway that's DuckDuckGo. We'll keep an eye on that one. And the last sort of story I had this week was cycling directions are now available on Apple Maps across America. So all 50 states, if you put into Apple Maps when you're there, you, get, you can get cycling directions, presumably free of traffic. That's quite cool. I like the sound of that. When's that coming to the UK? I'd love to try that out. Yeah, so I think Google Maps has had this for quite a while. Over the last 10 years or so, Google Maps has said cycling directions. If you put your bike in, it tries to keep you off the main roads. It'll say the cycle tracks. It'll do that kind of stuff. So why is it taking them so long? Because they're doing it their own way, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, it is interesting that they seem to have prioritized things like the VR fly-throughs and the 3D buildings and the sort of look around when you come out of tube stations over something that's probably more important if you're trying to encourage people to make use of cycles. But if you've got a 3D headset on the way. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to wear your 3D headset on your bike, though, are you? No, but that's why they're probably doing all the other stuff because they're, they're you know, they're prioritizing that, aren't they? So they can show it as a demo when they do... And they do the headset. I mean, they've got so many pieces already lining up beautifully, haven't they? They do. There's an American expression I like, which is walk and chew gum at the same time. And occasionally I wonder if Apple is capable of doing that. And we've already talked about it a little bit with iPadOS and, I, and I, the iPhone operating systems and things. But something like this, you would think, well, the people assigned to doing the cycling are over here. And the people who are doing the 3D flybys are over here. Surely they can both just get on with it. They must have enough money and enough people to be able to do that kind of development. And enough autonomy. I think a lot of companies really struggle with the, the walking and chewing the gum, big, medium and small. I think it's a culture thing and it's hard to get it right and release so that it looks cohesive to the outside world. But I agree, they, they should be able to move at this pace. And I'm, I'm circling back to something you said. Why isn't it in the UK yet? And why is it somewhere like the Netherlands where the entire sort of economy is more or less based on cycling? So that might be an interesting bit of follow-up for us. Is can you get cycling directions and Apple Maps somewhere where bicycles are the absolute key method of transport? Yeah, it's a fair point. I don't know the answer to that question. There we are. That's, that's a bit of homework for me. Should we move on to media? Let's do it. First up, Lightyear is out on Disney+. And you can watch it in enhanced IMAX. What does that mean? Less black borders. So if you've got a widescreen TV, which everybody does, it makes the borders thinner. It basically zooms in the content. The I did look this up on Disney+. Plus. They've got a bit of a rubbish explainer for it. So you can either have it in widescreen or you can have it fill the screen in essence. Right. Which so, is how you watch it in IMAX because the aspect ratio IMAX is different. Yeah, okay. Yeah, IMAX screens are a funny ratio. I've seen a couple of things in IMAX. Rogue One and Gravity are the two films I've seen in IMAX, both of which looked amazing. So yeah, that's interesting. So you're only left with either a very tiny black border, but it's not like a pan and scan. You're not losing information off the sides of it. Apparently not, no. 
I'm, I'll see if I can find the link to pin the show notes, but Disney have a whole thing about enhanced IMAX. All right, okay. Well, I have a Disney story as well. There's, so I, know, I should back up. Did you watch it again? I watched most of it. My wife and children were away, so I thought, great, I'm going to watch it. And then I had loads of work to do, so I didn't really watch as much as I'd anticipated, so apologies. That's really boring, but I'm glad it's so. Uh, maybe I'll get around to it in the next couple of weeks or so. So good, dude. So good. Love it. I love all the lines. So it's got all the lines out of Toy Story in it. Like, there's no sign of intelligent life form everywhere, he says. And it's just like, yeah, I remember that from the first film. And then there's, I don't know, what's it, uneven terrain or something like that? He says near the start when he's on the bed. And he says that in the film. They've, I love it. It's brilliant. Good. All right. It's on is on the list. So one for me that I spotted on Disney Plus that has just been released and it's streaming only is called Prey. Have you come across Prey? Nope. So Prey is, if you like the Predator films from back in the day, particularly the original one with Arnold and the second one with Danny Glover, which both of which I think are excellent films. I think I'm probably on my own on Predator 2, but I really like it. And then there's been a few sort of decreasing returns on how good the Predator films have been. But this one is actually set in a slightly older period, and it's the first film that's been filmed in Native American dialect as the primary language. And it's effectively a predator lands and starts hunting Native Americans but before being ruthlessly conquered by people from other countries. So it just looks fascinating. It's had really good reviews. I like the fact that it does something different with it, with, with the language and the actors that are involved with it. Looks really interesting, right on my street. And I intend to watch it sometime this week. I pray. Okay, I'll try and get it on the list. Don't know uh, when I'm going to get to it though. Well, it's okay. We'll see what you can do. Our other little bit of media news is that there's a new film out on Apple TV+. Plus. It's called Luck. Oh, yeah, this was me. So I popped this in there. So this is part of Apple TV+. Plus. It's their first sort of kids animation film. And it is produced by John, Lass- John Lasseter, who obviously brought us Toy Story cars and pioneered a lot of what Pixar did. Sadly, to leave Pixar because he's not a very nice man to work with. If you remember the opposite sex, he's also been given a second go and hopefully he's a better, A, a better person now and B, I haven't seen the film, but hopefully it lives up to his input and it's going to be good. So I'm looking forward to watching it with the family. Yeah, again, I, I agree with you. I hope he's a better person. Though. It's it's funny speaking of actors that have sort of fallen out of favour as I've watched two films in the last week with Kevin Spacey and I watched Seven again with the family and I watched LA Confidential and separate we've talked about this before separating the actor uh, and the work from the person is challenging i think and on a psychological level watching him again but they're both excellent films and my family is you know they certainly enjoyed seven a huge amount both both my kids kids an 18 year old and a 16 year old were just blown away by how good seven was and they were totally into it it really really stands up and the, the acting talent in that film and i think it was one of kevin spacey's first film he's not in it very much but he has sort of a fairly electric presence but morgan freeman and brad pitt you know, the actor socks off and Gwyneth Paltrow, actor socks off in that film. No, it's a brilliant film and it's David Fincher directing, who's done some awesome films and is really known for, you know, not not releasing anything that's half-baked and really making sure he takes 50 cuts if he needs to or takes, should I say, and, and doing a great job. I, I think it's a really good film. It's not normally a film I would go for, but I love it. I think it's so well done. Yeah, and similarly, Ellie Confidential, one of Russell Crowe's first films. It's got Guy Pearce in it. All, all the neighbors alumni were in were in that, which I hadn't really appreciated at the time. And Kevin Spacey isn't he's not a major role within it, but he's he's a, he's a decent role within it. And again, a shame because such a quality actor, but a terrible human being. He's good at playing slimy characters because he is a bit in that one, isn't he? Yeah, he could maybe tap into that a little bit, couldn't he? Maybe there is something of that in there. But uh, yeah, anyway, both good films and. Uh, as you say, with John Laster, he has got an impressive pedigree looking back. He's won you know, Academy Awards for a lot of the work that he did, including Ten Toy, which I think was Pixar's first sort of animated feature. Um, yeah, it was like their first short, wasn't it? 
It was so um, impressive pedigree, but I, I I have seen luck fairly heavily advertised on YouTube. It seems to it seems to pop up quite a lot. Have you been onto Apple.com? No. So if you go to Apple.com, one of the character I don't know any of the characters' names, but one of the characters appears, and then a hole appears, and they go th- fall through the hole, and then you scroll down the page, and then they pop out the bottom of the hole onto the next section, and and it, I don't know if it's still there, but it, it was kind of a cool bit of marketing. It's great seeing Apple leaning into it a little bit and having a bit of fun. Which I think they should do a bit more of. Yeah, I'm on I'm on Apple.com now, and yeah, it is there. The cat jumps into it. There's things happening around all the products. They're popping up on screens. Yeah, that's quite well done. It's quite cool, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. I don't know if I want particularly a lady falling from above onto my iPad, but uh, yeah, it's quite well done. And the coloring, like iPhone 13, is the green of luck on it, and all the rest of it. My takeaway and my slight hesitation with luck is the Scottish accent on the cat doesn't seem to be very good. Well, I'm sure you can comment on that better than I can. I'm going to have a better look now, just in case it's actually a Scottish actor doing it. So, yeah, that's that's, that's interesting. Yeah, it's there. I saw it. I did think it's probably something, you know, for the podcast's sake that, that should be watched. But it wouldn't be... So, i got to say, it hasn't... The trailer doesn't grab me in the same way that some of the early Pixar ones did. No, I don't disagree with you there. It hasn't overly grabbed me, but my children love an animated film. And they've barely seen anything to do on Apple TV Plus. So I just thought it'd be good for them to have a bit of Apple TV Plus and, and to see what it's like for them. What do they make of it? Yeah, get, fair get their view of the world. Fair enough. So I'm looking at the cast list and I see Simon Pegg is on there. So it's oh, pro- I did mean to raise that, actually. <laughs> so it's probably Simon Pegg doing his Scotty impression again from Star Trek. You never know. He seems to get into everything, though, doesn't he? Yeah, it's interesting. John Ratzenberger is credited here, who was a token of Pixar for a very long time. John Ratzenberger, who played Ham in the Toy Story films, and I think was in every Pixar film up until very recently thereafter. So, good. Did he play Mac as well in the truck Yeah, that he, drives Lightning McQueen around? Yeah, he did. He did. Good. Got okay. Voice. Interesting. And interesting with done with the website as well. Good. Okay. One my final thing for, for media section this week is the last episode of From Mankind had quite the cliffhanger at the end. You've probably been far too busy to catch up. It's quite nice. You'll be able to just binge it when you get there and get to the end. But so, oh, we're on episode 9 of 10. It's been a good season. I need to find some binging time, don't I? you got to get on it. It's, it's it's A couple of those episodes have been really tense. Anyway, games. And I think the first one, first couple of years, in fact. Yeah, so just a brief update. I've been waiting to buy Formula 1 2022. And it finally came out on the PS5, I don't know, a few months ago. But it was quite a lot of money. And they've just put it on sale. And Formula One is on a break for a month. And they put it on sale literally at the start of the summer break. And I was like, that is perfect timing. Because whilst I can't watch any, I can play a little bit of it. So I downloaded it. It's really good. It's a bit similar to what they released last year. It's just obviously got all the new cars and the teams on it, which is disappointing when you're plumping up 50, 60 quid. But I'm happy my son found it instantly the next day after I bought it. And he's he's, he's getting some good mileage out of it. It's a good joke for a car game, that. Some good mileage. I like that. Do you see what I've done there? I saw what you did there. I think this is on Xbox Games Pass. I haven't looked, but I think it's just available on Xbox Game Pass. Well, that, that's just made me sad, hasn't it? That it's on the Game Pass for free. Yeah. And you can get it on Steam and oh, coming up in... Well, I'll move on to my next one, actually, because I just noted about Steam Deck Review on Remaster Podcast. You and I spoke about Steam Deck the other week, and I listened to Remaster, which has got Mike Hurley on it, Federico Vitici, and... I can't remember the other gentleman's name. He's written lots of old games and I will find out his name and, and come back in a minute. And it's really good. And they were talking about the Steam Deck and some of it put me onto the Steam Deck and some of it turned me off the Steam Deck a little bit. They were saying how big it is, the sensitivity of the trackpads, this, like the Switch, the screen could be bigger kind of thing. And 
app Nintendo obviously did make this the screen bigger with the OLED version, kind of you know reduced the bezels a little bit, but kept the actual unit the same size. But on the whole, they raved about it, and Mike on it is playing F1 2022 on it and loves it. So I'm still umming and ahhing about it. Although I should get one, but Steam wouldn't tip or Valve wouldn't tip my money for a four pound reservation, so I kind of got. I obviously didn't want it. I am really impressed with the device. So I travelled with it this week. It's really handy to have a couple of a variety of games like that at your fingertips. From you know, as I've touched on before, that I don't generally need to go out and buy because I've got such a vast library of things. I keep throwing new things at it, and it plays almost everything: old stuff, new stuff. Things that it says aren't supported, it seems to cope. And I know it's not the, a top-end processor in here. I kind of get their point about the screen. When you're playing something like Apex Legends and you're trying to aim, it can be really quite difficult to see what you're aiming at on a screen that size when I'm used to looking at a 35-inch monitor or, or sort of 65-inch TV screen. But the, the convenience of it outweighs everything else, and the battery's good enough, you know, so I, I think the criticisms are fair. It can get a little hot. There is a fan in it, which is a bit weird if you're used to Apple devices. They mentioned the heat, but it's a version one product. The person's name I was forgetting was Shahid as well. Who he is awesome. He's a really interesting guy to follow because he used to work at PlayStation and was instrumental in bringing out the first PS Vita, which had an OLED screen. Obviously, it was mobile gaming. And back in the day, he wrote games on his Amiga and various other platforms. Just a re- really interesting person that's been in games development for eighties to now what forty odd years, which is a hell of a change in in gaming so he's quite insightful on it i think on the whole it sounds like a great device definitely is a version one part of me is maybe i should wait for version two but then and they did touch on this on the show when would they release a version two because they're still taking pre-orders for version one so how, how would you manage all of that and i don't know and the other thing they raised was there's a website called StockX, and you can go on StockX, a bit like ebay and you can buy a Steam Deck or any other electrical or trainers, whatever your your jam is. You may pay, you will pay over the odds for it because somebody signs something that's hard to get a hold of. But what they do is you buy it, they hold the money, you receive the device, you tell them you've received it, and then you say it's all okay, and then they release the money to the seller. So it's kind of like holding your money in escrow to make sure that you get the device and it is as described. So quite quite interesting. And I did have a look for the two hundred fifty six gig version, which is the one you've got. It's basically about £200 over the buy price. And apparently Steam have also announced that if you buy now, you may not get it this year. Whereas they said that, I think it was like last week or the week before, if you've bought up to this date, you'll definitely get it within 22. That's pretty good. It's interesting. I, I joined a Reddit community. I don't use Reddit an awful lot, but I joined a Reddit community for the Steam Deck. And the amount of people that have had their Steam Deck stolen by FedEx seems to be vast. You know, they get the shipping notification from Chicago and Illinois or wherever it is. It goes, they follow it, they track it, they get a box and the box is empty. Which has got to be the most painful thing when people have been waiting for these things. You'd be fuming, wouldn't you? Especially if you think, oh, it's here, it's here. And you go and open the front door and it's not here. I'd be fuming. Yeah, so, but it's an interesting community to follow, and you think you're obviously only hearing from people where negative things happen that are on Reddit, so you've got sort of diminishing returns there for, for who's going to be on that. And let's face it, it's a community which has the odd negative person on there, as well as some very positive things as well. I've got, you know, it's, it's quite impressive in some ways. And what you see on there are stories like that, things about drift for joy for joysticks, which, you know, the Switch is, is a thing that happens to that as well. Certain fragility within the device, you drop it from any height and it's gone. But again, as you say, it's a version one product from a company that hasn't made a huge amount of hardware. And I think the positive experience I've had of it, and, and many others have as well, 
outweighs the negatives for me. I'm well, I'm glad I took a punt on it with the hope that A, they'll keep making it, and B, they will make a version 2 or a version 3 that is more powerful, that is more useful, with a bigger screen, with all these things sort of fixed as they go down the line. So it's very encouraging for a first product. I completely agree, and I think for 400 quid to have a product that, as you've described, is a great version 1, that they've managed to achieve it for that price point, I think it's really good. And if that's the worst Steam Deck they ever release, it's pretty good, isn't it, if it's only ever going to get better? Yeah, too right. Good. Okay. Mario. Um, you, you you mentioned Joy-Con Drift. Sorry. That kind of leads me into Mario Kart. I was playing Mario Kart 8 last night. They've just brought out the new Wave 2 tracks. So Mario Kart is releasing, you can buy an add-on for about £20, and then they release eight tracks, and then at some other point they release another eight, and so on and so forth, until they release all of them. And normally they don't tell you when they're coming, so you, they want you to pay the 20 quid to get the tracks but you don't know when they're all going to land which i find a little annoying it'd be better if they had a schedule because my son was like when we get the next ones dad i'm like oh i've no idea we just have to wait and see but actually i think for 20 quid i think it is good value for money to get life out of the game the tracks though in the second wave were a bit disappointing i thought they were just a bit simple compared to some of them maybe i need to play them a bit more but i really picked up on my joy con on my new oled switch is drifting massively so the car's always turning right or left i can't remember which way and so you've always got to correct it which is frustrating on a device that hasn't left my house a huge amount and isn't that old because i must have only bought it last year yeah that's not good I, and I suppose somebody will say, well, that's okay because you can use your, your Pro Controller or you can get new Joy-Cons or something like that. But if you haven't used it that much, it's very, very disappointing when, when something like that happens. Yeah, if it's in my bag, going on the train every day, fine. I haven't looked after it, but it's largely been in the house with my shed. It's not traveling a huge amount. I was cheesed off, to say the least. I'm, I'm going to have a look at it. I don't know if I can raise it with Nintendo to get it fixed or a discount or what have you to get a replacement. I need one controller. So I'm going to look into it. But new Joy-Cons historically were quite expensive. Yeah, all controllers are expensive at the moment. When I was going through the Apex Legends phase on, on the iPad, I was looking to see if I could get another Xbox controller. And I couldn't get one on Amazon for a reasonable price. And Smith's Toy Stores didn't do any either. So I wonder if there's sort of a chip shortage sort of affecting controllers as well. Yeah, it could be. I have no idea what gubbins are in one. Good. Okay, one last story for the game section then is that there was an announcement that Jetpack Joyride 2 is going to be exclusive to Apple Arcade. I've never really played Jetpack Joyride 1, so I don't know what I'm missing out. But I'm looking forward to it because I'm I'm sure it'll be cool. I love Jetpack Joyride. I played it an awful lot. I finished most of the levels. And it is one of those you run from left to right, which were sort of the very first flush in in the same way of an Alto's Odyssey or something like that. But there was a bit more to it. There were power-ups and upgrades and all that kind of stuff. Just a lot of fun. You had to navigate the scenery through jumping and and sort of using your jetpack and and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, it was good fun. Quite, Quite cleverly thought out. Good level design. So it's I think it's 10 years since the original Jetpack Joyride was released, though, so I do wonder why it's taken them so long to do a sequel. Wow. Maybe they made enough money. They didn't need to work for 10 years. Or it was hugely popular in the first flush of Apple Arcade, and Apple chucked some money at them to make a sequel. Yeah, that's true. Could be. Anyway, it's good to see it. I'm sure they'll be very carefully investigated as to how good it is and whether it is just the the first one repackaged again. But yeah, good good to have. I'll play when it comes out. Just while you mention Apple Arcade, my children have been addicted to App Bridge Constructor Plus, which is obviously something we released on Apple Arcade. What was really annoying, though, I searched for Bridge Constructor on one of the children's iPads, and I just installed the first one that was free. Missed the Apple Arcade one. He's in Dad, I can't play the first level. We don't need to buy it. I was like, no, I swear it's in Apple Arcade. I had to delete that app and then install the Plus one. So even Apple Search is not clear. And you'd have thought 
if you're searching and you've got Apple Arcade subscription, you put they put their their result at the top. So it does show though that Apple aren't being biased to themselves in the search. I suppose so, but maybe it also shows that they're advertising for these companies are paying them more to promote those things. And I, I you know the the scammy and app purchase thing. But yeah, I take your point. Fair enough. Moving on. Moving on. A very short main show because we're going to go long again. And we were very long last week. We're almost an hour and a half last week. So I'm conscious that we don't want to go on. So we'll have a short main show. I thought I'd recount another story. This isn't much of a rant as I had against the uh, the Pixel phone. But uh, we talked last week about the MotoGP app on Apple devices and would I be able to stream and all that kind of stuff. So that, that was quite important to me. And I went and I looked on my Apple TV. I think maybe during the show there was an Apple TV app. I thought that's great. So I can install it on my Apple TV and off I go. So I better go and register it now. They've got a sale on at the moment. You can buy half a season. The season started again today. Annoyingly, it was actually broadcast on ITV as well at the same time, so I could have waited a little bit, but such is life. I wasn't expecting that. Where I thought, okay, I'm going to buy this. It's €69 pounds for half a season, which isn't cheap, but again, having changed broadband provider, the amount of money I'm going to save over the course of a year is significantly more than, than what it will cost to buy this app even for a year. This app purchase for a year. However, when I went to buy it, it kept trying to get me to authenticate my email so you can obviously log into MotoGP.com and watch it in a web browser as well if you want to. And I couldn't get the email. So my email address, which is, well, my Apple ID ends in Mac.com, which for those of us that have been Apple fans for a while, was a fairly shortly lived service from Apple from the Steve from the early days of the Steve Jobs era. Not as shortly lived as the me.com era. Not as shortly lived as that, but there was mac.com and it was free for a bit and then they tried to charge for it and I never paid for my mac.com email address. So I just wanted the cool mac.com thing and then it became me.com and then it became icloud.com and if you didn't pay between the mac.com days and the icloud.com days, you stopped having a functional mac.com email address. Now, I never really cared about this before because you can put in a secondary email address. So for example, when I was ordering a new Mac, I'd get shipping updates to my Gmail address, never gave it a second thought. But the problem is that MotoGP.com, and I presume other websites that do an app purchase that need to see your email address if you want to make use of these kinds of functionalities, only accept the primary email address. So I was never getting any of the confirmation email addresses, and I had no idea why. It took me a while to work out, hang on, they're actually sending it to Mac.com, which I've never had email, I haven't had email for in, I suspect, 15 years. I'm just trying to get my head around what you said because I do get email to my Mac.com, my me.com, and my iCloud.com. I use the me.com one I have for it since it came out because it was shorter. I just went for the shortest one they had. Part of me wants to go back to the Mac.com one now because you must have been there in the early days. But um, does but uh, sure, but does it actually work? Did you ever pay? Yeah. Yeah, right, so my Mac.com. I, mu- I must have paid at some point. But surely, though, nobody else out there could have your Mac.com email address because it's the same prefix as your me.com, you know, your email address, you know, if your name was Bob and you had Bob at me.com, you've also automatically got Bob at Mac.com and Bob at iCloud.com. Which is what happened. I got an iCloud and an at me with the same thing, ultimately. But the Mac.com ones weren't being delivered. I had to go onto the Apple website for my ID and change it to be the at iCloud.com. And then it worked. So because the primary login authenticator was still at Mac.com and I couldn't get emails. So it's a really simple fix. I was actually surprised how simple it was once I did it. I was very worried about what effect it would have on all my devices. But it just seems to have taken and worked. But I just thought it was the most bizarre thing. Why not just automatically forward Mac.com emails to iCloud.com or me.com? I mean, it just made no sense to me. Yeah, like I said, I've never fallen foul of that. But that is bizarre. And like I said, I don't understand 
why they wouldn't sell out. But you should probably contact Apple and say, look, I've got these. Can you make the, the MacBook.com work? I don't know. I don't know how that would work. I think it just went away. It's probably an investigation for another day as to... Did you actually, you should maybe go and look through some receipts and get it. But yeah, the Mac.com one doesn't, but it was a simple enough fix once I got my head around it. And then I clicked it, I got the in-app purchase, which by the way is still the very irritating. You get a thing, you've got to go to your bank and confirm it. It chucks you back into the top level of the of the Apple store. And you think, hang on, I just spent 69 quid on this. Did it actually work? Thankfully, I managed to restore purchases and it did work in this case. But that's slightly disconcerting as well when you spend that amount of money on something. I completely agree. That is quite frustrating. I've been toying the other day about setting up a custom domain, actually, with iCloud. So buying something, maybe the family name or something, some form of top-level domain, and using that because then I thought that that would be helpful when the kids are a bit older, they can have something a bit more unique to them. Whereas at the moment, they've got first name, initial, last name, because that was all I could get at iCloud. But then part of me was thinking, would you end up with some of the same problems you were just talking about? Like, what's your primary... Is it more trouble than it's worth? But then I quite like the idea of us having a, a family domain name linked to our iCloud account. So I'm tempted to kind of have a play with it. Yeah, it's a good idea. And I, I, I thought of the same sort of thing. But then I thought the only person who'd be able to administrate such a thing is me because nobody else in the family cares enough. So something happens to you or it's 10 years or 15 years down the line and they don't care and you stop supporting it, then presumably decades of emails go astray. And that's a real problem you don't want to have. Yeah, and I've been through this recently with, I used the free Google email for Google for Business, and it was free for a long time. You could point a custom domain at it, and I used that for my parents and for my wife. And then all of a sudden, Google, like, oh, we're getting rid of the freebie bit. And I was just like, oh, no, I now need to sort it out. Thankfully, Google have said, actually, just carry on if you're not using it as a business. So I don't have to do anything. But it came very close to me having to do something. Somebody's trying to find a device of yours. I think I accidentally turned on water lock on my Apple Watch. Apologies. <laughs> It's not raining in the shed, Chris. Come on. No, that that is interesting, and it, it's the it is an administrative headache I don't want. I think I, I know I like to footer around with Linux and play with computers and stuff a lot more, but uh, that's not email. has always been a bit of a dark art for me that I haven't wanted to get too deeply embedded in. You don't want to get embedded in it. I used to run an email service ten years ago, uh, more than that probably now, and I hated it. It was something I happily got out of and spent a bit more money on and had a third party do it because it's hard to do it well, especially with spam and, you know, letting emails through and just managing the whole thing and upgrades. Oh. Yeah. And my impression of Apple's, it's a, it's like an email alias service, isn't it? They'll take over from, from that particular thing, is that it's not massively robust and you don't get a lot of the spam filtering and stuff like that that you do get with some of the more serious, you know, our provider on this podcast, ProtonMail, have got fairly serious spam filters and things built into it. So... Yeah, I think you're maybe creating a problem for yourself if you sort of go down that route. There might be something more robust. Certainly, by all means, do it, but use one of the use somebody like Proton Mail or use you, you know a, a, a provider like that to manage your email rather than Apple. I only use my me.com email address. I don't use anything else. Fair enough. Well, maybe now's your opportunity to get uh, you know, to get the family name dot com. But I'd pass that. I'd make that as easy as possible with somebody who just is very good at email rather than Apple. Yeah, I don't disagree, but I'm used to the Apple way, and I don't. We don't get a lot of email in our house. We're quite simple email people. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Anyway, I thought it was an interesting little anecdote to share in case other people are having the same problem. Just to, I, I, I very much doubt anyone's got a Mac.com email address that didn't pay for it would be in the same situation. But it was quite a strange one to be in. I'm amazed I paid for it and you didn't because it would have been when we were back at uni. <laughs> yeah, maybe you were more attached to your Mac.com email address than I was. I did always want one. It was pretty cool, and I think if you'd emailed Steve at Mac.com at that point, you'd probably got an email through to Steve himself. 
Yeah, that would have been quite cool. <laughs> anyway, good. The last article that I thought was interesting is a thing that I came across on Lifehacker about it being time to go back to physical media. And this, I felt, fit quite well what we were talking about. Was it last week or the week before? About games going off Apple Arcade and movies going off um, a particular service because of off PlayStation by Sony. And just a bit of a movement that's sort of coming about about returning to DVDs and physical copies of games and books and things like that. And just to end the show on, what do you think about something like that? I think there's a couple of reasons for it. So I'm, as I think I've said before, very digital. Everything's digital in my house. And if we lose it, we just get it again if we had to. But interesting you say it because I, th- I was listening to, I think it was ATP or Reconcilable Differences with John Syracuse. And he was saying, every time you, <laughs> and you've got the T-shirt on, every time you download a Kindle ebook, you should definitely, you know, back it up by stripping the DRM off it and saving it down. Not to give it away illegally, but just so that you've got a copy of it that means Amazon can't take it off you. Because apparently years ago, Amazon removed George Orwell's book, 1984, off of, ironically, off of people's Kindles because of some copyright issue. And so it was interesting hearing him say that, you then put this in the notes. And then for a completely separate reason, I was in a supermarket the other day and I was looking at a game and it was cheaper to buy it in a store on a physical disc than it was to get it digitally. I was like, how does that work? How is it cheaper to have had it shipped to this store, they take a commission than to buy it straight from the distributor on an e-store. So I can see the benefits of it. I personally don't want all the media floating around my house. I'm kind of not against the, say, download all the movies I bought on iTunes and back them up somewhere else and strip the DRM from them. But I don't think I would personally want the physical media, but I kind of get the idea of having a digital DRM-free backup. I'm happy to buy things digitally i don't have a problem with that i think everything i've got is 100 legal in my house so i don't mind doing that but i don't think i want to go back to having the physical media yeah i'm mostly with you i think and to me you've hit the most important bit of that is by all means i'm happy to buy the the, the product be it the book or the or the game or whatever it is but let me store something of that in a, in a drm free version where i can go back and try and run it again be it the song be it the you know whatever it is and certainly when i we talked about this before when i did my big mp3 rip back in the day i wish i'd done it at a higher quality than i did but then i didn't have the hard disk space i've still got all those files and i can still play them on anything and they sit on a network attached storage device on my network and i know where they all are and i can point at them and there they are drm free and that's quite nice and to a certain extent i've done similar with my movie collection where i have a drm free version of it of things that I've bought that sit on my network guitar storage that, that, that I've got. I haven't done it with my Kindle books and I haven't done it with ga- things like games from Steam. But- game Games are the trickier one because some you need to sign in to act play. Like playing this Formula 1 game, everything's online. Like How would you even go about backing up a PS5 game? I don't even know if you could do it without unless you bought the physical media. Yeah, at the same time, you know, messing around with the emulation on the on the Steam Deck, you can install a PS2 emulator. You can run what were DVDs back in the day from PlayStation 2 games. And, run them, and presumably, the, you had to get around the DRM for that, and people are sharing that around, and I'm not saying I am. I have PS2 games up in the loft if I wanted to make that, but it was more I just observed that the emulator was there. So I, I, I can see the argument for both sides, and just 
to back up on the on the game bit a little piece. I, for a while, I was subscribing to oh god, I've forgotten the name of the service, Humble Bundle, the Humble Bundle, which is a a monthly subscription. It's about twelve pounds a month, and you get X number of games free. And they offer, in most cases, the Steam version as a key and a DRM downloadable for it as well. So. For some games, I found about Slay the Spire from, from Humble Bundle, by the way, just to bring it back to Slay the Spire again for a minute. But they do try where possible to show you a DRM version of that. And occasionally it's books. And it's generally an amount of your of your monthly subscription goes, goes towards charity. So it's it's quite a good way of, of sort of accruing media. Most of it's DRM free, but, but not 100% of it. And I think games are the funny thing. And there is a difference between America and, and us here in what you're allowed to do with stripping DRM off things. You're allowed to have, you're, you're able to do that in America. And I think it's called fair use is the law. I don't think we have exactly the same fair use policies in the United Kingdom. It's, you're in a slightly more legally gray area, stripping DRM off for your own for your own uses. But what it also gives you, even if you have this, is it puts the requirement on you to store all this DRM-free media. And how many people do have sufficient storage in their networks to store their books, their movies, their music, their games, whatever else it is, is, is digital for them, with it, with it not being the cloud and actually being somebody else's computer and there being a point of vulnerability there anyway. So it does create an interesting tension. Yeah, you used to have to make the shelf space available for it, but now you're making the hard drive space available for it. Yeah, I agree with that. And I do have a synology kicking around with loads of space in it that I personally could do it for, but you're right. Other people wouldn't do it. But also I think the people without the space probably wouldn't have the desire to go and do this or understand that they need to strip the DRM and, and so on and so forth. So in my head, I think if you've paid for it and you want to strip the DRM from it so you're preserving it so you can watch it, read it, do whatever you want with it in 20 years' time, I think that is acceptable. I think what is unacceptable is companies, when they take things down, not giving you a a mechanism to preserve your copy if you've legally bought it. I think that's the key. If you've bought it, why can't you have a DRM-free version? I was quite impressed with, I was reading about Command & Conquer the other day. I didn't realise this, but years ago, they released it for free to everybody. Like on its, I think it was its 13th anniversary or something. So it was a long time ago. And they said, look, here it is for free. It's the, the, the game. Everybody can play it. I thought, that's quite nice. They made their money out of it. And they just gave it away for free. And it's like, well, actually, maybe... Maybe like with cars, when they reach classic status, maybe media should reach a classic status and maybe you can get a free version of it. I don't know. It's it's a really tricky one, but how would you preserve stuff, you know, in 20 years' time? How can we go and play some a PlayStation game or watch a movie that's not been sold anymore? Yeah, that, I mean, that's a deeper issue, isn't it? Around copyright, around art. Yeah, no, the, it, it's littered, it's peppered with lots of potential problems, isn't it? Because you think Disney is a company, and I know copyright law keeps getting pushed back, you know, 20 years, 25 years, 50 years. Things like Beethoven and Bach and all the sheet, sheet music that's available and the recordings of them, well, not that there's many recordings that they did, but certainly the music is freely available for people to make use of. And I think it's some of the early rock and roll stars sort of are actually pushing for copyright around things because they have lived 50 years beyond the release of their record, you know, before it becomes freely available to all. And it's in our world of corporations that own this stuff. It almost seems to me that the onus should be back on, be put back on the apples, the Amazons, the the record labels of the world. That if you have bought that piece of media with their DRM on it, if they are bought or sold or go out of business, they should return the DRM free version to you, or pass on the fact that they've sold the data, the DRM encrypted data, to you as a customer to the people that have bought them. It shouldn't yep. just stop being yours. And that seems like something that should be codified in law. Maybe the, the solution is, that you, as you, I think you were alluding to, maybe we, we have to just go back to buying the physical edition of the book 
the the whatever it is i don't know i like i said i live in a very digital world everything is digital in my house we've got very few physical games my kids found it a novelty as she asked to have the cartridge for a game for the nintendo switch because they saw their cousin with all these games oh it's great you can just put the discs in i was like isn't it great that you don't even have to do that you can just pick the game off the home screen you don't lose it you don't scratch it so it's a real tricky one i'm a massive fan of the now i guess and i probably haven't thought too far about the longer term future yeah, I suppose it's a whole other thing about what happens. You know, we talk, I, I was a bit morbid earlier talking about maintaining your email. What happens if you know you have an injury or you die? At some point, all of us are going to die. We've picked up all this. We've accrued all this media over our lives. Some of which our families or, or significant others may want to have to have access to. But if it's all locked in my name, my my three hundred plus game Steam library, nobody else can play when I go. You know. How does it work though with your iTunes library? So my family can watch go on the Apple TV as them, and then they can go to shared and then see dad in essence and then go through all the films i've purchased and i can share it with them that's great but you're right what happens if if i'm not around anymore how can they have access to those three four hundred movies i've bought well they probably can't it all goes away all these log in is me forever isn't that a difference from sort of well it's still it's still in our generation when you're when your parents or your grandparents would leave you things and your family heirlooms and watches and you know their copy of the of the beatles first album or their superman comic that's not a thing. You know, a DRM encrypted file that's locked to your account when you, when you die for it has no value at all. I think you're right. That, that it just isn't a thing. The physical stuff I've got is technology which will be useless in five years' time, if not sooner. And, and as you can see on the wall behind me, lots of Lego. And that's probably all I'm going to leave my children. Yeah, you know, an Apple Watch that you, you need a computer to authorize that hasn't existed for 30 years isn't going to be as much use as, as the Rolex or the Omega that, you know, your great-great-grandfather sort of passed down lovingly that he bought from some small amount of money you had back in the day. So it is interesting our sort of progressive move towards technology is actually taking away a lot of this. Yeah, you're raising quite a quite an interesting point which i think we've gone in a direction we weren't expecting <laughs> that's the joy of having this kind of conversation isn't it yeah but you're right though and i've always said to my wife Look, if anything happens to me you need to open my one password vault because that's literally got the keys to everything everything we pay or do or have a login to is there so and i control all the house i set all the bank accounts i sort out all the bills and so she doesn't have to get involved which is great for her now but obviously if for whatever reason i'm not around it's going to be a very steep learning curve. Yeah, it is a worry. And I was listening to the radio because I was on a, on a long car journey and there's no getting away from it about somebody whose partner had died. And they were having a terrible time of cancelling their Vodafone contract. Vodafone effectively wouldn't accept that the partner had died and they needed to continue paying the bill despite the production of a death certificate, despite the production of all these kinds of things. And it went on months that's not something you want a company to be asking lots of questions about, especially if you've demonstrated a death certificate. Surely that's pretty... I mean, I guess people want to get out of their contracts, but that's really... its I say the word egregious a lot on this podcast. I don't normally use it in normal life. It's appalling behavior by just a company determined to make money. And the fact that a relative is left potentially with a destroyed credit rating while going through the bereavement of a family member or a loved one, it just horrifies me that they can behave yeah, in that way. not good. Not good at all, is it? But can you think an Amazon or an Apple or someone like that will act massively different in, in a different way if they're used to getting their £60 a month subscription for service X and the primary bill payer goes away? It's it's, it's, it's a very interesting time to think about these kinds of things. No, agreed. And you phone Apple apps go, I can't watch my husband's 200 movies. He's no longer here. How do I get them? And they're going to go, you buy them again? Yeah. 
Yeah, sorry to hear about your loss. Here's how we'll how you can get on the Apple Store and, and give us that you know th- f- several thousand pounds worth of movies he's bought over the years. I'd hate to think what I've spent on on media or on virtual media over the years. Well, there we go. I mean, I think it's, it's an interesting point to end the show on. We'll try and be a bit cheerier next week, I think. But yeah, that's that's been a good discussion. No, it was good, mate. It was good. Brilliant. Should we call it, call it a day? Call it a day. Great to talk to you. And uh, if anybody wants to get in contact, do email wakefromsleep at protonmail.com or reach out on Twitter at WFS underscore podcast. Love to hear from you. Good show. Talk to you next week, Chris. Cheers, Rod. Next week.